From the Carrie M. McGuire Center for Ethics and Public Responsibility at SMU, this is Sound Ethics, a podcast supporting scholars of ethics with particular regard for those at SMU, highlighting important questions of morality and philosophy. For those of you who I have not yet met, my name is Rita Kirk. I am the William F. May Endowed Director of the Center. This particular event is the McGuire Public Scholar Lecture. And each year we choose one and sometimes two, depending on the nature of the year, uh, of our fellow faculty members to present speeches to each other. Alita Liberman is an associate professor of philosophy. Her research takes her into the exploration of questions ranging from reasonability and, uh, and the police use of force to discussions on promise-making compacts we make with others, as in our wedding vows, or to society and our promises that we that are related to our social contract. Of particular relevance during this era, Professor Liberman's dissertation and subsequent work defends a new theory of promissory obligation and explores the relationship between promises and resolutions. I think we're gonna have an engaging conversation after we hear these uh, thoughts explored. Are vaccine mandates a matter of conscience? That's the issue she'll be talking with us about today. Alita? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thanks to the McGuire Center, and also thanks to all of you for being here at 9 a.m., or whatever time it is in your time zone. Uh, I very much appreciate that. Today, I'm going to be talking about the question of conscientious objection to mandates about vaccination. And before we can get into the nitty gritty details of this, we need to think about what conscientious objection actually is. So conscientiously objecting to something involves seeking a penalty-free exemption from a behavior that you are required or expected to engage in. And that's due to a moral objection that you have to that behavior. So the classic example of this is conscientious objection from pacifists who object to being drafted into the military because they believe that going to war is, is morally wrong. Now, military conscientious objectors aren't people who are trying to dodge the draft and flee to Canada. They aren't people who expect to be sent to jail for refusing to join. Rather, based on their moral disagreement, they want to be given special permission to opt out of doing something that they would otherwise be required to do. And since the active draft ended in the United States, Discussions of conscientious objection have mainly focused on medical settings, most often when healthcare providers want special permission to refuse to perform a procedure that is legal and medically appropriate, but that they have a moral or religious objection to, for example, providing an abortion or providing certain forms of contraception. More recently, within the last couple of years, uh, within the last one year, actually, there has been discussion of conscientious objection to vaccine mandates, specifically to COVID-19 vaccine mandates, when people whose employer or whose university requires them to be vaccinated have a moral objection to receiving the vaccine, and so seek special permission to continue holding their job or attending their university while remaining unvaccinated. Now, keep in mind that when we talk about vaccine mandates, we're not talking about forced vaccination in the sense of this historical political cartoon where you're holding someone down and injecting them against their will. We're talking about a conditional requirement or the demand that you must be vaccinated if 
you were going to keep your job or remain enrolled in your university or in some places if you were going to be attending public spaces like restaurants, bars, Broadway theater. And my goal is to assess whether we can plausibly extend the notion of conscientious objection to cover these sorts of refusals to be vaccinated. Now, conscientious objection is sometimes thought to apply only to refusals that are based in religious beliefs. But I think that the claims of conscience should not be limited to those stemming from religion, both because secular morality is a legitimate ground of conscience that it would be wrong to ask someone to violate without good cause, and because we really don't want to get into the messy business of determining which sincerely held ethical beliefs count as religion or which religions count as the religions that we should be accommodating. So accordingly, I'll use moral objections in an expansive way that will include both beliefs that are stemming from religion and beliefs that are not stemming from religion. Now, for a refusal to count as a conscientious objection, it must be grounded in conscience, which means that it must be driven by moral concerns. Refusals of medically inappropriate treatment, for example, a doctor declining a patient request for antibiotics to treat a viral infection, or the rare cases in which someone is seriously allergic to a vaccine ingredient and so decline the vaccine because it's, moral, it's medically inappropriate for them, should be honored. But such refusals don't count as conscientious objections. They're grounded in medical or practical concerns rather than moral concerns. Refusals that are based in other sorts of practical concerns, such as a surgeon denying performing a risky procedure because they want to keep their success rate high, or someone refraining from being vaccinated because they're afraid of getting shots, may or may not be something to honor, depending on the situation. I think often they're not something to honor, but it can depend on the context. But these kind of practical refusals don't count as conscientious refusals. To be conscientious, it has to do with morality, understood broadly to include religious concerns. So conscientious objectors have to believe both that the action in question is morally wrong and that performing that action makes them at least partially morally responsible for or complicit in that wrong. Now, it's very important that we let people come to their own conclusions about this, about what is wrong and what they are personally responsible for. Since we can't protect conscience, if we impose external standards about what is right and wrong, what matters for the purpose of preserving moral integrity and protecting conscience isn't what really is true about what's wrong, but what a person sincerely believes to be wrong. However, that doesn't mean that anything goes. I think that these beliefs are subject to some very important constraints not just any belief about wrongness or responsibility, no matter how unreasonable or poorly founded, can plausibly ground conscientious objection. So I aim to articulate what kinds of belief about moral wrongness and moral responsibility are plausible candidates for conscientious objection in the first place. Now answering this question won't settle the ultimate question of whether a particular refusal to vaccinate is justified overall. And that's because even refusals that are of the right kind to ground an exemption can be overridden by more urgent or important moral concerns. To take it back to the healthcare context, for example, if a pregnant patient's life is in danger and it's an immediate danger that can only be remedied by removing the fetus, it doesn't matter if the only doctor on call is morally opposed to abortion. 
we presume that saving the patient's life is more important and that this overrides the doctor's claim to conscientious objection. Likewise, in some circumstances, including, I suspect, the ones we currently find ourselves in with the COVID-19 pandemic, the life-saving benefits of achieving high enough rates of vaccination that the most vulnerable in our communities are protected might be so morally important that they override even legitimate individual conscientious objections to receiving a vaccine. Although that's not a question I'm going to try to answer today, that overall all things considered question. I'm just going to be looking at the more foundational question of whether vaccine refusals are even the right kind of claim to ground a conscientious refusal. The other reason why it doesn't settle the final question is that, as I've already noted, there can be non-conscience-based reasons why people sometimes refuse to do things, like the doctor who doesn't prescribe antibiotics or the surgeon who denies a risky procedure. These sorts of reasons might be legitimate in some cases. But this foundational question I'm asking about what kinds of claims can ground conscientious objection is still important, I think, both because it helps us make progress towards this ultimate determination of whether to honor a request overall, and because it can tell us when purported conscience claims are in fact non-starters and therefore not worth further consideration, not worth doing that hard all things considered analysis and cost benefit weighing. And what I am gonna argue in this talk today is that most refusals to get a COVID-19 vaccine are non-starters in this way, that they shouldn't count as conscience exemptions. <clears throat> So we can constrain the kinds of beliefs about wrongness and responsibility that make for appropriate conscientious objection by looking at the competencies or skill sets that are required to function in a minimally capable way in a particular context, whether that context is fulfilling a professional role or participating in a community. And to illustrate this, I'm going to briefly talk through how this applies in a healthcare setting. This is something that I explain in more detail in a previously published paper. To be minimally decent at their jobs, that is to perform their professional roles in a competent way, healthcare providers need to have certain epistemic, relational, and normative competencies or skill sets. So let's look at epistemic competencies first. These are those that have to do with how you know things, how you weigh evidence, and how you make decisions. And being epistemically competent as a healthcare provider requires that you rely on good empirical evidence in accordance with current medical standards. Conscientious objections that are based on beliefs about wrongness or responsibility that stem from demonstrable empirical falsehoods fail to meet this competency and accordingly should not be accommodated. And this happens more often than you might think. For example, surveys show that upwards in some places of 35-ish percent of pharmacists believe falsely that the so-called warning after pill functions like mifepristone or the abortion pill, and they refuse to fill prescriptions for the morning after pill for that reason. When in fact, that pill is simply a high dose standard oral contraceptive and does not function in the same way. It's not the same kind of, of medication. It's not an abortifacent. So if your objection is based on a false belief about how the medication works, it's not the sort of thing we have to honor. Let's look now at relational competencies. These have to do with how healthcare providers interact with patients. And these require that they avoid treating patients in objectionably discriminatory ways. 
And beliefs about wrongness or responsibility that fail to meet this standard and thus are not the right sort to ground conscientious objection are those that result from problematically biased attitudes. So for example, imagine you have a doctor who believes for purely homophobic reasons that sex between men is morally wrong and so refuses to prescribe medication for erectile dysfunction to patients who have sex with men, but is willing to prescribe it to patients who have sex with women. This is not the sort of conscientious objection we should be accommodating. It's just grounded in a discriminatory attitude of the sort that interferes with the healthcare provider fulfilling their professional role in a decent way. Let's turn now to the third competency, which is normative competencies. These have to do with following sensible moral decision-making procedures. That is choosing on the basis of good faith moral reasoning rather than say flipping a coin or consulting your horoscope. And with having reasonable beliefs about your normative connections to the world, including what you are personally responsible for. For example, it makes sense to hold a getaway car driver at least partially responsible for the bank robbery. It doesn't make sense to hold the Lyft driver who unknowingly transported the thief to the bank partially morally responsible for the bank robbery. And conscientious objections are not plausible if they make assumptions about what is wrong or about what someone is responsible for that violate this competency. So here's a real life example that I address in more detail in the paper I mentioned earlier. When the Affordable Care Act mandated that employers cover contraceptives as part of their health insurance plans, religiously affiliated nonprofits, most notably the Little Sisters of the Poor who run nursing homes, who objected to this were permitted to submit an exemption form to the insurance company, who would then directly cover the drugs at no cost to the employer. This is a picture of the actual form, very short, easy form they had to fill out. Some employers sued, arguing that the act of filling out an exemption form made them complicit in something they believed to be sinful. And I argued in my previous paper that this violates their normative competency as employers, that the causal connection between an employee engaging in behavior thought to be wrong and an employer filling out an exemption form that triggers a pre-existing and independent mechanism facilitating that behavior is not close enough to plausibly claim that the employer is personally complicit in it. And so that's how this competency framework functions. I think we can helpfully apply it to thinking about conscientious objection in a new context, not that of refusing to provide healthcare to others, but that of refusing to receive healthcare for yourself and refusing to follow a vaccine mandate. So briefly, I'll note that some vaccine mandates do apply to people in virtue of their particular profession. And in these cases, we can pretty straightforwardly apply a professional role framework. For example, the Biden administration is requiring that all workers at healthcare facilities that receive Medicare or Medicaid funding, including hospitals and nursing homes, be vaccinated against COVID-19. Now, healthcare workers choose a profession in which they put the lives and health of others in their hands, and following public health guidelines to ensure the safety of patients is part of their professional role. Being a minimally decent healthcare worker requires that you do things like wash your hands, sterilize equipment, where personal protective equipment is needed. It's plausible that this also requires getting vaccinated, since this is by far the best way to protect vulnerable patients, which is part of your foundational professional role, not to mention to protect oneself and one's coworkers. And if that's true, then refusing vaccination involves failing to fulfill your professional role. We could potentially make similar arguments about how other categories of workers take on special obligations 
to abide by vaccine mandates in light of their chosen professional roles, especially for people whose professions make them responsible for the well-being of vulnerable people. This might include people like prison guards, first responders, police officers, daycare workers, or elementary school teachers. However, I think it's unlikely that most people will be obligated to be vaccinated in order to fulfill a voluntarily undertaken professional role for two reasons. First, many professions just don't have such robust roles and they don't include protecting public health as part of their basic professional norms. Second, many people do work, including people who work in healthcare and other fields, that is not a profession in the sense of a career that they have deliberately accepted in a way that binds them to the norms of it in a strong way. For a lot of us, our work is just a job that we do to make ends meet. And if that's the case, it's harder to argue that that role gives you robust requirements. Although I think we, we could possibly make that argument. However, what I want to do is think about whether there's a way to apply the competency framework that isn't tied to professional roles, that can apply in the same sort of way to all of us, not to our roles as members of a profession, but our status as members of a broader moral community. And that's what I, I turn to next. So like it or not, we all live in a society where we rely on each other and we have to cooperate together in a variety of ways, whether that's funding a government through taxation, working to maintain a sustainable habitat for ourselves, or seeking to end a viral pandemic through widespread vaccination. For these collective projects to succeed, we all need to do our best to be at least minimally decent members of the social community. Now, how we define what our community is will depend on context, and most of us are members of more than one community. For example, most of us here today are members of Southern Methodist University. As faculty, staff, and students, we're obligated to participate in the collective project of running the university. For the university to function, we have to do our jobs, or if you're a student, to attend classes and pay tuition. We're also members of the larger Dallas-Fort Worth community. And for the Metroplex to function, we need to do things like follow local laws and pay our taxes. And at least some of us need to do things like start and patronize local businesses, help each other out, vote in municipal elections and the like. To accomplish these ends in a competent way, that is to be minimally decent Mustangs or Dallasites, we must fulfill certain epistemic, relational and normative competencies. And I think these competencies constrain which kinds of refusals are of the right sort to count as conscientious objections. When someone wants to opt out of participating in one of the collective projects pursued by our community, we should assess whether their requested exemption violates these basic competencies. Because if it does, if their beliefs about what things are morally wrong and what they're personally responsible for are not compatible with being a minimally decent citizen or community member, then we do not need to respect their conscientious objection. Just as we do not need to respect the conscientious objection of the doctor who refuses to treat a patient due to empirical falsehood or prejudice or unreasonable normative beliefs. A few quick notes before I proceed. First, for ease of discussion, I'm sometimes gonna use the word citizen when discussing the competencies required to be functioning members of a community. But in using that word, I don't want to imply anything about legal rights or status. For present purposes, I'm using citizen to just mean resident or denizen or member of a given community. Second, these community competencies could be understood as being part of a role-based framework. If you had an account of role that was really broad and that was broad enough that being a student at a university or a resident of a city or state counted as a kind of social role, 
But I, I'm going to be neutral about this. Nothing in my proposal depends on whether we frame it in a role-based way or whether we expand the competency framework to a non-role-based way. Finally, in thinking about the legitimacy of conscientious objections to vaccine mandates, I'm assuming that the people making the claims are sincere. That is, that they aren't lying about being morally opposed to vaccination because they think this is the only way to receive an exemption. And of course, it's likely that some people who claim to have moral or religious objections to COVID-19 vaccines sometimes are lying and are motivated by other reasons. And in deciding whether to grant exemptions, employers will have to determine whether and to what extent they want to investigate this. But for the purposes of present discussion, we'll assume people are telling the truth and we'll put this concern to the side. So let's look at epistemic competencies first. Minimally decent citizens must, to the best of their abilities, make community affecting decisions based on good evidence rather than on unsubstantiated conspiracy theories or demonstrably false claims. Now, obviously people are differently situated regarding their ability to gather evidence and engage in reasoning. Different people have more or less access to information or formal education or time to spend on decision-making. But meeting the epistemic competency required of a community member is a fairly low bar. You just have to do your best to make decisions that impact your fellow community members in a sensible way based on your abilities and the information available to you. For example, I grew up in New Jersey where it's illegal to make U-turns or left turns on most busy roads. Instead, they have these jug handle turns that you have to access from the right lane instead. When I first moved from New Jersey to Los Angeles, I paid close attention to road signs and I read the driver's ed manual and learned that U-turns and left turns were permitted and I could turn left from the left lane instead of from the right lane. So I exercised my epistemic competency and updated my knowledge of traffic laws based on good evidence. Had I instead based my belief on LA traffic laws in bad evidence, like unconfirmed rumors or the implausible assumption that all traffic laws are the same everywhere, I would have failed to exercise this competency and I would have put other drivers at risk by trying to do jug handles when I should have been doing left turns. Conscientious objectors to vaccination must similarly ensure that their beliefs about what is wrong and what they're responsible for are epistemically competent. And very many vaccine refusals do not meet this standard. Some people object to COVID-19 vaccines because of demonstrably false beliefs about what the vaccines contain or about what their side effects are, such as falsely believing that the vaccines have microchips that can track you or can rewrite your DNA or can cause infertility or frequently lead to serious illness or even death. These beliefs come from a variety of sources, including many viral posts on social media and wacky YouTube videos but none of them are supported by good empirical evidence. And the most accurate and reliable sources readily debunk all of these claims because the stakes for the entire community are so high. And because there's lots of easily accessible information out there debunking these myths, we're obligated to do our best to form beliefs about the risks of vaccination in a more reliable way and to reject falsehoods and conspiracy theories. So if you refuse a vaccine because you think it will harm you, I should note that it's not clear whether that's actually a specifically moral objection to the vaccine, and that's not clear whether it should count as a conscientious objection as opposed to a refusal of another sort, perhaps a practical sort. But it, it could be potentially a moral objection if needless harm to yourself is a moral concern. And if we do count it as a moral objection, it's clear that it's not of the right sort. Refusals based on false claims about safety or efficacy violate the epistemic competency needed to be a minimally good citizen, and are non-starters for that reason. So I'll turn now to the second competency, relational competencies. 
I think these are the most important for enabling us to succeed in our collective communal projects. To be decent citizens of a community, we need to cooperate with each other in whatever ways are required for living together and sustaining our joint social projects. This means we have to do things like follow just laws, abide by public health and safety regulations, like washing your hands after you use the restroom or requiring grocery store shoppers and college students to wear a mask indoors when a viral pandemic is rampant. We have to abide by solutions to coordination problems like traffic laws, stopping at traffic lights and remaining on the right side of the road when driving. Relational competency also requires treating other members of your community with a minimal degree of respect and care. And doing this involves following two basic rules. First, we should avoid free riding understood as taking advantage of others' rule following to get away with violating the rules yourself. Tax evaders are classic examples of free riders. Since they get the benefits of public taxation, they get public roads, parks, schools, trash collection, and the like, without contributing any themselves. Failing to follow environmental regulations can be another form of free riding. The person who illicitly drives a high emission car while everyone else is submitting to a smog check gets the benefit of cleaner air without sharing any costs. And taking advantage of others in such ways by free riding violates the relational competency required of decent community members. Second, to fulfill our relational competency, we need to ensure that our exercise of individual liberty does not harm others. It's fine if you want to smoke or drink to excess, even though this harms your health, but it's not fine if you want to drive drunk or to smoke in indoor crowded spaces, since this puts innocent others at risk of being harmed through car accidents or secondhand smoke. This is the main insight in John Stuart Mill's account of liberty referred to as the harm principle. You have the right to do whatever you want, even if you hurt yourself. That's your business and the state should not paternalistically interfere with you. But this right extends only so far as other people's rights and interests. You don't have a right to harm others and it's legitimate for the state to prevent you from doing so. To violate the harm principle and act in ways that risk hurting others is to fail to fulfill the relational competency required of decent citizens. Now, many who conscientiously object to vaccines ground their refusal in the moral importance of individual liberty and choice. They object to being told what to do with their bodies by their employer or the state. And it is true that individual liberty and choice are really important moral concerns that we should do our best to respect. But this narrative applied to COVID-19 vaccination is rooted in two flawed assumptions that violate the normative competencies required of decent citizens. First, appealing to individual liberty violates the prohibition on free riding. For your freedom to do whatever you want is constrained when you're engaged in a collective project. You can skip doing the homework if it's just you. You shouldn't skip it if it's a group project and the rest of your group members are going to suffer from you skipping it. The project can't succeed unless we all contribute to it. And vaccination is a paradigmatic example of a collective project. We can protect the entire community only if enough people participate in it. And refusal to vaccinate can be understood as an attempt to gain the benefits of herd immunity while not paying any costs, which can be understood as a form of free riding. Second, appealing to individual liberty to defend decisions that increase the spread of a deadly virus violates the harm principle. Some people who refuse vaccination argue that we must let everyone come to their own conclusion about whether to be vaccinated. But individual choice is a fiction when it comes to a viral illness. 
Your choice is no longer within the sacred realm of your own autonomy if it risks serious harm to others. Just as we move beyond the realm of individual autonomy when a drunk person gets behind the wheel of a car. If refusing to be vaccinated put only you at higher risk of contracting a disease, appealing to individual liberty would make sense. But vaccine refusal puts others, including those who can't protect themselves through vaccination, such as children under five and people with suppressed immune systems, at higher risk of getting sick, dying, or developing a lifelong disability from COVID-19. And violating the harm principle in this way goes against the relational competencies required of good citizens. And so refusals to vaccinate that are grounded in these concerns about individual liberty and choice that violate either the harm principle or the prohibition on free riding are not of the right sort to ground conscientious objection. Finally, the third category, which is normative competencies. Some vaccine refusals violate normative competencies, which require having reasonable beliefs about what you are morally responsible for. So for example, imagine that the CEO of a small company is an ethical vegan who is opposed to meat eating. It would be reasonable for her to insist that only plant-based food be served at official company events, since using her company's money to buy meat plausibly makes her complicit with a system of animal farming that she believes to be immoral. But it wouldn't be reasonable for her to refuse to pay her non-vegan employees because she objects to them possibly using their paychecks to buy meat at the grocery store. It's just not plausible that the CEO of a company is morally responsible for what their employees buy with their paychecks. Some people conscientiously object to COVID-19 vaccines because they are distantly connected to aborted fetal cells. The Pfizer and Moderna vaccines were tested on cell lines that were originally derived from aborted fetal tissue in 1973 and 1985, a process that is very commonplace with many other vaccines and medications being similarly tested. Johnson & Johnson vaccines used similar testing, uh, similar cell lines both in testing and in manufacturing the vaccine. But no vaccine itself contains any fetal tissue and the connection is very indirect. The cells were harvested three or four decades ago and have been reproduced in a lab since then with no need to collect any new fetal tissue or no connection to any abortion that occurred earlier than 30 or 40 years ago. And many people who believe that abortion is morally wrong, including notably both Catholic and Protestant religious leaders, have argued that the connection between COVID-19 vaccines and abortion is so distant that receiving a vaccine does not make you morally complicit in wrongdoing. For example, the Vatican has urged vaccination to promote the common good, and Pastor Robert Jeffress of First Baptist here in Dallas has stated, quote, there is no credible religious argument against the vaccines. Christians who are troubled by the use of a fetal cell line for the testing of the vaccines would also have to abstain from the use of Tylenol, Pepto-Bismol, ibuprofen, and other products. There's a long list of products like this that use the same cell line in their testing if they are sincere in their objection. Now, importantly, I'm not suggesting that a Catholic or a Southern Baptist, Baptist can't have a religious objection to vaccination just because their faith leader doesn't have one or says that they shouldn't have one. Religion can be highly individual and an adherent of a certain religion need not accept all of the official doctrine or take their leader's word for it. So I'm not trying to just appeal to authority by quoting Jeffress here. Rather, I'm suggesting that religious objections to vaccination grounded in concerns about the connection to abortion likely violate the normative competency required of good citizens because the connection is too tenuous and distant and indirect to make someone who receives a COVID-19 vaccine morally complicit in abortion. And I'm referring to these leaders as evidence of the fact that this belief that the connection is indirect is widespread. 
So in conclusion, the reasons why someone is conscientiously objecting to a vaccine are really important. Some kinds of reasons are of the right kind to ground conscientious objection and others are not. I've argued that many of the most common reasons why people refuse COVID-19 vaccines, including unfounded worries about negative side effects, appeals to individual liberty or choice that ignore free riding or imposing harm on others, and concerns about complicity with abortion, violate the epistemic, relational, and normative competencies required to participate in successful collective community projects. And if I'm right about this, this means that we should not accommodate these refusals as a matter of conscience, not because they're outweighed by more important moral concerns like ending the pandemic and protecting the public, although they may be outweighed in this way, but because they aren't reasons of the right kind to ground conscientious objection in the first place. Now, an argument could still potentially be made that we should accommodate at least some vaccine refusers for other reasons, although I'm personally not very optimistic such an argument would succeed. But to answer the question that forms the title of my talk, in most cases, vaccine mandates and vaccine refusals are not a matter of conscience. Rather, they're a matter of abiding by the essential competencies we need to be minimally decent citizens who live in community with each other. Sound Ethics is a production of the Carrie M. McGuire Center for Ethics and Public Responsibility at Southern Methodist University. Thoughts, views, and opinions of Sound Ethics speakers do not necessarily represent the views of the McGuire Ethics Center or SMU. The McGuire Center supports student and faculty ethics-related education and activities, as well as outreach to community, private, and public institutions. Learn more by visiting us at smu.edu/ethics or finding us on social media at McGuire Ethics. <laughs>